can be found on page 676 in the Church Bibles and is taken from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, beginning at verse 7. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart, and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the streets are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds and all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of the heights and of the dangers in the streets, when the almond, blossom, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, 
for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. This can be found on page 1193 of your Bibles and on the screens. That's 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Stephen, dear, thank you very much for bringing those two readings. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. For those of you who don't know my name, I'm Jitesh, associate vicar here. Great privilege to be carrying on our series looking at different ages and stages of life and how to follow Christ in all of them. And we've got to the stage that we've subtitled Starting Out, young adults, those in their 20s and 30s, or if you're not quite happy with that, 20s, 30s and 40s, I think it's stretching it to make it into your 50s, sorry. But um, those who perhaps are just trying to figure out life, come out of that season of new life, of growth, of learning at university, perhaps or at school, but now are throwing themselves into life fully and trying to figure it out. I hope there's some encouraging words for you here this morning and for all of us, actually, as part of that. We're going to be mainly looking at the Ecclesiastes passage. Can I encourage you just to turn to that again? Sorry to make you flick around. It's on page 676 in the Bible, 676. And while you're doing that, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power to cause change, that it's like a hammer that shatters rock. Lord, we pray and ask that you'd soften our hearts. We pray and ask, Lord, that we might receive your word from your lips. Amen. Well, in 1999, the Australian film director, Baz Luhrmann, scored a top uh, hit 
I think we got to number one in the music charts with the spoken word piece set to music called Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen. I don't know if, hands up if you remember that. I got it as a single, as a teenager. That gives away my age. It was a wonderful thing, actually. And uh, it was hugely successful, partly because of its inspirational words to a younger generation just stepping into adulthood. And here are some of those words. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99, if I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. Enjoy the power and beauty of your youth. Oh, never mind, you will not understand the power of your beauty of your youth until they have faded. But trust me, in 20 years, you'll look back on photos of yourself and recall in a way you can't grasp now how much possibility lay before you and how fabulous you really looked. You're not as fat as you imagine. Sing. Keep your old love letters. Throw away your old bank statements. Don't feel guilty if you don't know what you want to do with your life. The most interesting people I know didn't know at 22 what they wanted to do with their lives, and some of the most interesting 40-year-olds I know still don't. Get plenty of calcium. Be kind to your knees. You'll miss them when they're gone. Read the directions even if you don't follow them. Do not read beauty magazines. They will only make you feel ugly. Well, I wanted to begin with that because in both of our readings this morning, we find an older generation giving advice to a younger generation on how to get the most out of life. Especially in our Ecclesiastes passage. He's seeking to the same very thing that we've just heard, advice on how to live life from someone who's trod the path in advance. King Solomon, we think the author, has got a lot right in his life and a lot wrong. He's learned through the good times and also especially the bad times. And he's seeking to impart some kind of wisdom as to how to live life from his perspective at the end of his. He's a bit of a depressive. He keeps on <laughs> spurting out meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. But in those, between those moments of melancholy, there's some great gem, gems of wisdom uh, for all of us, but especially for those in that age range of their young adulthood. Now, if you're not in that age range, I don't want you to switch off. Because firstly, supposedly youth is a state of the heart, I've been told. And so this still applies to you. But secondly, actually, there's something very important here for you in particular that I'm going to mention at the end. But it's going to require you having listened to all of this. So please don't switch off if that is you. There are two key pieces of advice that uh, Solomon seeks to give to a younger generation that we're going to look at this morning from this passage. And the first one is this. Enjoy the summer. You should enjoy the summer. Turn with me to verse 7. He says, Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. Then verse 9, be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Solomon's liking young adulthood to being like in the summer season. The spring is over of 
birth and growth, and autumn and winter are still far away, and the summer sun is out, and it's to be enjoyed. And many of us, of course, this week have been doing exactly that, enjoying the coming of summer. It may only be two weeks long, but it's glorious when it happens. And I've just loved, since moving to South East, seeing the transformation that happens in summer over it. Suddenly the, the beaches are crowded, full of people, and water sports are going on, even though it's really cold still in the sea. The smell of barbecues in the air. Lots of people looking much more happy, enjoying summer. And just as summer is the peak of the year for many, supposedly, for many of us, actually, our young adulthood will be one of the peaks of our life. Scientists tell us that actually physically we're at our peak in our 20s. That's why many athletes and footballers retire in their 30s. And supposedly mentally you're at your peak in your 20s as well. I'm not entirely convinced of that. I remember being told uh, by one of my physics lecturers at university that if you haven't made a major scientific breakthrough by 30, you never will. I thought, oh, great, thanks for that, thanks for that. Supposedly it's the peak of life, and for many, actually, looking back, you'll know that it was, in many ways. And what are you to do during that season of life? Well, actually, enjoy it. Enjoy what you can do with your body. Enjoy the time that you have. Enjoy the summer of the soul. And this will probably be a surprise to some of you. God wants me to enjoy life. That doesn't sound quite right. It sounds far too self-centred, far too about me. I thought it was all about tireless devotion, gritting on until heaven. But actually that's not true, not one bit. You remember Jesus, he said, I've come that you might have life and life to the full, the vibrancy of life. But just as any parent takes great joy in the joy of their child, God takes great joy in our joy. That squeal of delight at the water park, that big smile as a son or daughter enjoys an ice cream cone by the beach, that joy that you experience at seeing that. Well, guess what? God has great joy in seeing your joy when you enjoy life. He loves it. He gets so much pleasure out of it. He wants you to enjoy this season of life. However, as with our children, he wants you to enjoy it wisely and in safe ways that won't lead to disaster and sadness. And that's why in our passage, each one of these calls to enjoyment is twinned with a call to sober-mindedness. Verse 8, at the end of it, it says, But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless, that we're not to live like there's no tomorrow, but think about possible problems in the future. Verse 9, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. That we should be complete hedonists, seeking pleasure as much as possible, but under the safeguard and the restraint of knowing that God sees all, knows all, and actually there may well be consequences down the line for what we do. This is why St. Augustine, former pagan Hedonist, who was turned into a church father and writer once wrote love God and do as you please it's as simple as that love God and do as you please because actually the one restrains the other the one informs the other the one means that you make wise decisions in the other 
as you seek to live life. Knowing that actually he sees it all, he knows it all. And actually, he wants us to choose well in life and how to enjoy it. He's designed ways for life to be enjoyed. He's given it as a gift and he beckons each and every one of us, choose those ways. Enjoy them in the safe ways that don't lead to disaster in the end, that don't lead to judgment, that don't lead to a sorry face. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and receive for what has been done in the body, whether good or bad. One day, you and God are going to sit down and watch a movie together. And that movie is going to be a movie of your entire life. Everything you ever said or did projected onto a big screen right in front of you. God will be full of grace and mercy and compassion. But either at the end of the movie it's going to have been a really embarrassing and cringeworthy event that you really not wanted to be there for. Or at the end of the movie, actually God will turn to you and say, I'm really proud of you. I'm proud of how you lived your life. Well done. And actually knowing that, knowing that that is to come, should inform how we seek to enjoy life in the present. It'll help us to enjoy it in the right ways. Israel, I think this is how in the parable of the prodigal son, both sons completely got it wrong. There's the older son who said, actually life isn't to be enjoyed. It's all about doing what is right. And I'm going to make it about that. And actually, he just drove himself nuts. But the youngest son was the complete opposite. He said, life is all about enjoying life as much as possible. And I'm going to go for it full throttle. And that ended in disaster, didn't it? Actually, the truth is, God does want us to enjoy life as much as possible, but in wise ways that don't lead to that disaster. The older brother had it wrong, and so did the younger one, actually. The principle of work isn't karma, what goes around comes around, but actually it's what Paul says in Galatians 6, you reap what you sow, that there are consequences for the things that we do as we seek to enjoy life. There really are. There will be then, and actually even in the warp and roof now, there are consequences for things that we do. Let me just uh, highlight a few categories that Solomon gives us to make us think about how we enjoy life. He tells us that we're to think about the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. Physically, we're to enjoy life, but be careful how we do it. Verse 10, at the end, he says, Cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigour are meaningless, upbeat as ever. One day, your physical vitality will fade if you're in this age range. It's just going to happen. And you'll be left with the consequences of what you did to your body. The Bible says that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. They're precious. So it matters what you do to them, what you put into them, what you take out of them. So it's really not a good idea to slowly kill off your liver with alcohol. You're going to need your liver later in life. It's not a good idea, actually, to become quite obese in a younger age because it's going to be really hard to undo that later on and will lead to problems but actually live wisely looking at potential ramifications then emotionally he says at the beginning of verse 10 banish anxiety 
from your heart in this age and stage. That we can come into young adulthood with all kinds of emotional baggage from teenage years and before then, and often not of our own fault. But actually, this is a critical time to deal with those things, so they don't become self-enforcing, destructive habits, so they don't lead to endless anxieties. And I've seen so many in this age range who've come through some difficult times and had life sorted by the Lord as healing hands, unworking things that have been put in people's hearts. And if this is you, we're here, we want to be part of this, what God wants to do in this stage of your life. And then lastly, spiritually, choose wisely here how you enjoy things spiritually. Unlike Baz Luhrmann, who doesn't mention God once in his advice, Solomon's advice is loaded with references to God, saying actually point your life towards him. And that's not just out of a sense of what is right, that it's right to do that, but also that that maximises that sense of enjoyment, that God has given joy, and actually knowing him is the greatest of joys. That he lives in eternal joy, that his is the fountain of joy from which all our waters flow. That actually if you really want to know transcendent, deep, eternal joy, you can try that in all kinds of other things, but actually you won't know it until you know the one who's transcendent and eternal and has infinite joy. No one's better than this than C.S. Lewis, who in the sermon Weight of Glory says this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in their slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. It's true, actually. God wants you to enjoy your life. And he offers you the way of enjoying it to the greatest possible level. Don't settle for anything less than that. Really don't. Well, that's the first thing. Enjoy the summer. But the second piece of advice that Solomon gives is to remember and be aware that winter is coming. Winter is coming. At the height of summer, it could be really tempting in the joy of finally seeing the sun out to think, this is it. We can really go for it and we can forget all about winter. In fact, let's throw out the woolly jumper and the winter coat that just take up space in the wardrobe. Summer is here. It's time for t-shirts and shorts, even if you shouldn't be wearing them. Of course, we'd be stupid and foolish to be doing so, especially in this country. We know that winter is coming. And the same is true about this period of life, this summer of life, that winter is coming. Remember it. Chapter 12, verse 1, Solomon says this, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you say, I find no pleasure in them, before sun and light and moon and stars grow dark. He spends time here talking about the end of life, when it isn't summer sun all the time, when in fact there is an autumn and then eventually a winter. And things are no longer 
as joy-filled and some things are more of a struggle. And then ultimately Solomon talks about the day of death itself. Verse 5, Then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about on the streets. And then in verse 6 he gives various physical images that are representations of physical death, the breaking of the golden bowl, the wheel being broken, culminating in verse 7, dust returning to dust, the spirit returning to God. This is the ultimate winter that will come to each and every one of us. And in light of that, actually, in the midst of summer, remember it's coming. Don't forget that actually summer won't last forever. And actually, the repeated refrain is, remember, remember, remember God in the midst of it. But that is the wisest thing you can do in summer youth to prepare for that winter that's sure to come. Remember God. Many of you know the famous words of John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, who, at the end of his life, speaking to a young William Wilberforce, said this, My memory is nearly gone, but there are two things that I remember that I am a great sinner, but that he is a great saviour. He'd remembered it his whole life long, so that at the end of his life, he was sure and certain, even in the midst of winter. In, in the summer, don't let the summer sun and all the glory of young life distract you from seeing the only sun who can save. Don't let it take you away from that. Please don't. The reason for this, the reason to remember God in the midst of this season, is that he is the one who is the only one that promises to take you through the winter that's to come and into a new springtime. But he's the only one that promises a new life, the other side of it. A new life where spring comes and eventually a summer that is eternal and endless and goes on forever. The centre of the Christian faith is death and resurrection, where he defeats death, he takes the worst of winter and breaks through to the other side. And he says, come and join me, come and join me. I've done it and so can you, so can you, because I've done it for you. That it doesn't have to be the end but actually there's a new springtime to come. This is why it's so important to remember this in your younger years. Because death can happen, of course, in that winter season to come, but actually it can sadly happen even before then. Even before then. And then the question won't be, of course, what were you enjoying at the time, but did you remember God? Did you remember to put your trust in him? for the other side, for the way through to a new season. Jesus always puts it best. He put it in the Sermon on the Mount as being like two different types of builders, one who built his house on sand and the other who built his house on rock. And when the storm came and the rains, well, the one on sand was washed away, whereas the one on rock stood firm. And that person is the one that built his life on his words, on Jesus' words, on his life, following him. Whereas a person who's washed away with it all, tried it on their own means, 
and actually had no hope in the end. It really matters that you remember him your whole life through. It really matters that you put your trust in him for what's to come. I'm aware that this is quite a morbid subject, literally, that we don't often think about these things, but it's so important. Every single one of us faces this question. Out of ten people who were surveyed, all ten knew that they were going to die. It's just the truth of things. And the question is, how are you going to deal with it? How are you going to deal with this winter that's to come? In 1488, the Portuguese sailor Bartolomé Dias was the uh, first person to go around the southern tip of South America in a sailing boat after many unsuccessful attempts by others to establish a new trade route around the southern tip of Africa because of the really strong currents that exist there. Interestingly, before he made this successful journey, that place at the tip of Africa was called the Cape of Storms. Some of you will know this. But after he made that successful journey, it was renamed the Cape of Good Hope. Because whereas previously there was no hope at all to navigate that route, suddenly he'd opened up the way and he'd shown the path and said, if you follow me through this, I can show you as well there's hope for this route through. The Cape of Good Hope. And let me say to you, if you haven't known this yet, that actually Jesus has made the way through to the other side. He should have traversed it first. And he says, let me show you, let me show you there's a way through. It's no longer the Cape of Storms, it's the Cape of Good Hope, that there's hope for the future. Come and follow me. Even in the midst of summer, remember that this winter is coming and put your trust in Christ. Well, let me end with that promised word for those of you that aren't, perhaps, uh, young adults. And you can self-define here. If you think you're a young adult, you are. If you're not, then you're not. Well, at the end of our passage in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is given a conclusion by someone else as to what he was trying to do. That actually explains that he was just trying to impart knowledge and wisdom Wisdom that came from the one shepherd, it says in verse 11, from God, and therefore don't add to it, don't have anything that deviates from godly wisdom. And then that's it. These are his last writings out of many writings in the Bible. He sought to end his life just imparting wisdom and grace and encouragement to a younger generation. It was his duty as the king, it was his duty as a father, and it was his duty as a man of God. And for many here, it is your duty as well, let me say, to do exactly the same thing. There is a whole generation here, I can see you, I can see you right now, who have lived life, some more than others, but you've really lived life, and you've gained wisdom. We heard some of that from John earlier. You've gained wisdom over a lifetime. And there is a call on your life to share that with a younger generation. And there's a younger generation here. And actually the call for you is to listen, to really listen to those who've gone before you. Humble yourself to listen. I was talking to one person in church last Sunday who just lamented the fact that he'd never had someone to mentor him in church. That actually he'd had to work it all out himself, work out how to do life following Jesus just by his own sheer 
grit and determination in getting things wrong and sometimes getting things right. And I had to admit to him, yeah, that's a familiar story. I've heard it so many times. I've known it myself. It's a really sad thing about the church at present that we don't have a culture of discipleship. That we don't have people who will impart wisdom to the next generation. We know that that's what Paul was trying to do to Timothy in our New Testament reading. Just telling him, don't have anything to do with silly myths, but focus, keep the main thing the main thing. Devote yourselves to what God's called you to be. Don't be like other young people, but give yourselves to things that are godly. Paul was just trying to encourage him, just keep going. Let me tell you about life. Let me tell you how to do this. I think Paul was doing that just because he wanted Timothy to do even better than him. And I wonder, do you want the next generation to do even better than you? Do you want that? If you do, then tell them what you've learned. Tell them what you've learned. Another Newton, Isaac Newton, one of the greatest scientists in world history, who changed our understanding of gravity, of motion, of mathematical calculus, and a number of other things, once reflecting on his achievements, said very famously, quoting someone before him, if I've seen further than others, it's only because I've been standing on the shoulders of giants. Tell you, I can see giants in this room, and you have to let people stand on your shoulders, that they might see further. And if you're one of those people, humble yourself. Seek those people out. And if you are one who's lived life, give yourselves to sharing with others. Let me pray for us all. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the seasons of life. Thank you for the summer seasons. We pray that we might enjoy them to the utmost in ways that are wise and godly and safe. But Lord, we're aware also that the winter will always come. Help us to invest our time wisely as a result, to trust you, to put our faith and trust in you who has overcome winter and leads us into a new springtime. And for all of us, may we be those who know what it is to receive from an older generation. May we be those who know what it is to give to a younger generation. May you be honoured in our lives in this place. Amen.